0: Chapter Eight of Sixty Years in Southern California, eighteen fifty-three to nineteen thirteen, by Harris Newmark. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by K Hand. Chapter Eight. Round about the Plaza, eighteen fifty-three to eighteen fifty-four. At the time of my arrival, the Plaza, long the nucleus of the original settlement, was the center of life in the little community. And around it clustered the homes of many of those who were uppermost in the social scale although some of the descendants of the finest Spanish families were living in other parts of the city this was particularly so in the case of Jose Andres Sepulveda who had a beautiful old adobe on some acreage that he owned northwest of Sonora town near the place where he constructed a stone reservoir to supply his house with water opposite the old plaza church dwelt a number of families of position and for the most part of wealth, in many cases the patrons of less fortunate or dependent ones who lived nearby. The environment was not beautiful, a solitary pepper, somewhat north of the plaza, being the only shade tree there. Yet the general character of the homes was somewhat aristocratic, the landscape not yet having been seriously disturbed by any utilitarian project such as that of the city fathers who, by later granting a part of the old square for a prosaic water-tank, Created a greater rumpus than had the combative soldiers some years before the plaza was shaped much as it is at present having been reduced considerably but five or six years earlier by the Mexican authorities they had planned to improve its shape but had finished their labors by contracting the object before them there was no sign of a park on the contrary parts of the plaza itself which had suffered the same fate as the plaza in San Francisco were used as a dumping ground for refuse from time to time many church and other festivals were held at this square a custom no doubt traceable to the old world and to earlier centuries But before any such affair could take place requiring the erecting of booths and banks of vegetation in front of the neighboring houses all rubbish had to be removed even at the cost of several days work among the distinguished citizens of los angeles whose residences added to the social prestige of the neighborhood was don ignacio de valle father of r f de valle until eighteen sixty one he resided on the east side of the square in a house between calle de los negros and olvera street receiving there his intimate friends as well as those who wished to pay him their respects when he was alcalde councilman and member of the state legislature in eighteen sixty one del valle moved to his ranch camulos ignacio coronel was another eminent burgher residing on the east side of the plaza while cristobal aguilar's home faced the south not far from devalles that is back of the later site of the pico house between the future sanchez street and calle de los negros lived don pio pico then and long after a striking figure not merely on account of his fame as the last of the mexican governors but as well because of his physique and personality I may add that as long as he lived or at least until the tide of his fortune turned and he was forced to sell his most treasured personal effects he invariably adorned himself with massive jewelry of much value and as a further conceit he frequently wore on his bosom Mexican decorations that had been bestowed upon him for past official services don pio really preferred country life at the ranchito as his place was called but official duties and later illness and the need of medical care kept him in town for months at a time he had three sisters two of whom married in succession Jose antonio carrillo another resident at the plaza and then the owner of the site of the future pico house while the third was the wife of don juan forster in whose comfortable home don pio found a retreat when distressing poverty overtook him in old age sanchez street recalls still another don of the neighborhood vincente sanchez grandfather of tomas a sanchez who was domiciled in a two-story and rather elaborate dwelling near carrillo on the south side of the plaza sanchez hall stood there until the late seventies the beau brummel of los angeles in the early fifties was don vincente lugo whose wardrobe was made up exclusively of the fanciest patterns of mexican type his home one of the few two-story houses in the pueblo was close to ignacio de valles lugo a brother of don jose maria was one of the heavy taxpayers of his time as late as 1860 he had herds of 2500 head of cattle or half a thousand more than pio and andres pico together owned maria bayestero lugo's mother-in-law lived near him don Agustín olvera dwelt almost opposite don Vicente lugos on the north side of the plaza at the corner of the street perpetuating his name don Agustín arrived from mexico where he had been juez de pas in eighteen thirty four or about the same time that don ignacio coronel came and served as captain in the campaign of flores against fremont even negotiating peace with the americans then he joined dr hope's volunteer police and was finally chosen at the first election in los angeles judge of the first instance becoming the presiding officer of the court of sessions five or six years later he was the school commissioner he had married doa concepcion one of not less than twenty-two children of don santiago arguello son of a governor of both californias and his residence was at the northeast end of the plaza in an adobe which is still standing there while fraternizing with the newly arrived americans he used to tell how, in eighteen fifty When the movement for the admission of California as a state was under way, he acted as secretary to a meeting called in this city to protest against the proposal, fearing lest the closer association with Northern California would lead to an undue burden of taxes upon the South. Olvera Street is often written, by mistake, Olivera. Francisco Ocampo was another man of means whose home was on the east side of the plaza. Although he was also a member of the new Ayuntamiento, inaugurated in 1849, and although he had occupied other offices, he was very improvident, like so many natives of the time, and died, in consequence, a poor man. In his later years he used to sit on the curbstone near the plaza, a character quite forlorn, utterly dejected in appearance and despondently recalling the bygone days of his prosperity. Don Cristobal Aguilar, several times in his career an alcalde, several times a city councilman beginning with the first organization of los angeles and even twice or thrice mayor was another resident near the plaza his adobe on upper main street was fairly spacious and partly perhaps for that reason was used by the sisters of charity when they instituted the first hospital in los angeles a short distance from the plaza on olvera street had long stood the home of don jose maria abila who was killed in battle in the early thirties it was there that commodore stockton made his headquarters and the story of how this was brought about is one of the entertaining incidents of this warlike period the widow abila who had scant love for the americans had fled with her daughters to the home of don luis but not before she placed a native boy on guard cautioning him against opening either doors or windows when the young custodian however heard the flourishes of stockton's brass band he could not resist the temptation to learn what the excitement meant so he first poked his head out of a window and finally made off to the plaza some of stockton's staff passing by and seeing the tasteful furniture within were encouraged to investigate with the result that they selected the widow abila's house for stockton's abode another abila francisco had an adobe at the present southeast corner of san fernando and alpine streets francisca gallardo daughter of one of the Sepulvedas, lived in the vicinity of the plaza The only church in Los Angeles at this time was that of Nuestra Senora la Reina de los Angeles, known as Our Lady the Queen of the Angels, at the plaza. And since but few changes were made for years in its exterior, I looked upon the edifice as the original adobe built here in the eighties of the preceding century. When I came to inquire into the matter, however, I was astonished to learn that the church dated back no farther than the year 1822. Although the first attempt at laying a quarterstone was made in eighteen fifteen, probably somewhat to the east of the old plaza, and a year or two after rising waters frustrated the attempt to build a chapel near the river and the present Aliso street, those temporary foundations seem to have marked the spot where later the so-called women's gun, once buried by Mexicans and afterward dug up by women and used at the Battle of Domingo's ranch, was long exposed to view, propped up on wooden blocks. The venerable building I then saw in which all communicants for want of pews knelt on the floor or stood while worshipping, is still admired by those to whom age and sacred tradition, and the sacrifices of the early Spanish fathers, make appeal. In the first years of my residence here, the bell of this honored old pile, ringing at six in the morning and at eight in the evening, served as a curfew to regulate the daily activities of the town had edgar allan poe lived in early los angeles he might well have added to his poem one more stanza about these old church bells whose sweet chimes penetrating the peace and quiet of the sleepy village not alone summoned the devout to early mass or announced the time of vespers but as well called many a merchant to his day's labor and dismissed him to his home or evening's rendezvous that was a time of sentiment and romance and the memory of it lingers pleasantly in contrast with the rush and bustle of to-day when cold and chronometrical exactitude instead of a careless but in its time sufficient measure of the hours arranged the order of our comings and our goings incidental to the ceremonial activity of the old church on the plaza the corpus christi festival was one of the events of the year when not the least imposing feature was the opening procession around the plaza for all these occasions the square was thoroughly cleaned and notable families such as the delvalles the olveras the lugos and the picos erected before their residences temporary altars decorated with silks satins laces and even costly jewelry the procession would start from the church after the four o'clock service and proceed around the plaza from altar to altar there the boys and girls carrying banners and flowers and robed or dressed in white paused for formal worship the progress through the square small as the plaza was thus taking a couple of hours each succeeding year the procession became more resplendent and inclusive and i have a distinct recollection of a feature incidental to one of them when twelve men with twelve great burning candles represented the apostles these midwinter festivities reminded me that on christmas eve the young people here performed pastoral plays it was the custom much as it still is in upper bavaria to call it the homes of various friends and acquaintances and after giving little performances such as los pastores to pass on to the next house a number of the apostles and other characters associated with the life of jesus were portrayed and the devil who scared half to death the little children of the hamlet was never overlooked the buñuelo or native donut also added its delight to these celebrations and now a word about the old spanish missions in this vicinity It was no new experience for me to see religious edifices that had attained great age and this feature therefore made no special impression i dare say that i visited the mission of san gabriel very soon after i arrived in los angeles but it was then less than a century old and so was important only because it was the place of worship of many natives the protestant denominations were not as numerous then as now and nearly all of the population was catholic With the passing of the years sentimental reverence for the spanish fathers has grown greater and their old mission homes have acquired more and more the dignity of age helen hunt jackson's ramona john s McGroarty's mission play in which by the by senorita lucrita daughter of r f and granddaughter of don ignacio del valle so ably portrays the character of doña josefa yorba and various other literary efforts have increased the interest in these institutions of the past The missions and their chapels recall an old mexican woman who had her home when i came to los angeles at what is now the southeast corner of san pedro and first streets she dwelt in a typical adobe and in the rear of her house was a vineyard of attractive aspect adjoining one of the rooms of her dwelling was a chapel large enough perhaps to hold ten or twelve people and somewhat like those on the dominguez and coronel estates and this chapel like all the other rooms had an earthen floor in it was a gaudily decorated altar and crucifix the old lady was very religious and frequently repaired to her sanctuary from the sale of grapes she derived in part her income and many a time have i bought from her the privilege of wandering through her vineyard and eating all i could of this refreshing berry if the grape season was not on neighbors were none the less always welcome there and it was in this quiet and delightful retreat that in eighteen fifty six i proposed marriage to miss sarah newmark my future wife such a mere girl that a few evenings later I found her at home playing jackstones, then a popular game, with Mrs. J. G. Downey, herself a child. But while Catholics predominated, the Protestant churches had made a beginning. Rev. Adam Bland, presiding elder of the Methodists in Los Angeles in 1854, had come here a couple of years before to begin his work in the good old-fashioned way, and, having bought the barroom El Dorado and torn down Hughes's sign, he had transformed the place into a chapel but alas for human foresight or the lack of it on at least a part of the new church lot the merced theatre later stood two cemeteries were in existence at the time whereof i write the roman catholic abandoned a few years ago which occupied a site on buena vista street and one now long deserted for other denominations this cemetery which we shall see was sadly neglected thereby occasioning bitter criticism in the press was on fort hill later another burial ground was established in the neighborhood of what is now flower and figueroa streets near ninth many years before there was any thought of rosedale or evergreen as for my co-religionists and their provision of a cemetery when i first came to los angeles they were without a definite place for the interment of their dead but in 1854 the first steps were taken to establish a jewish cemetery here and it was not very long before the first jewish child to die in los angeles named mauler was buried there this cemetery on land once owned and occupied by jose andres sepulveda's reservoir was beautifully located in a recess or little pocket as it were among the hills in the northwest section of the city when the environment of nature was in perfect harmony with the jewish ideal home of peace Mrs. Jacob Rich, by the way, had the distinction of being the first Jewess to settle in Los Angeles, and I am under the impression that Mrs. E. Greenbaum became the mother of the first Jewish child born here. Sam Prager arrived in 1854, and after clerking a while, associated himself with the Morrises, who were just getting nicely established. For a time, they met with much success and were among the most important merchants of their day finally they dissolved and the morris brothers bought the large tract of land which i have elsewhere described as having been refused by newmark kramer and company in liquidation of major henry hancock's account here for several years in a fine old adobe lived the morris family dispensing a bountiful hospitality quite in keeping with the open-handed manner of the times in the seventies the morris brothers sold this property later known as morris vineyard after they had planted it to vines for the insignificant sum of about twenty thousand dollars following sam prager came his brother charles for a short time they were associated but afterward they operated independently charles prager starting on commercial street on may nineteenth, 1869 sam prager long known as uncle sam was a good-natured and benevolent man taking a deep interest in masonic matters becoming master of forty-two and a regular attendant at the annual meetings of the Grand Lodge of California. He was also chairman of the Masonic Board of Relief until the time of his death. Charles Prager and the Morrises have all gone to that undiscovered country from whose born no traveler returns. In the summer of eighteen fifty-three, a movement was inaugurated through the combined efforts of Mayors Nickel and Coronel, aided by John T. Jones, to provide public schools, and three citizens, J. Lancaster Brent, Lewis granger and stephen c foster were appointed school commissioners as early as 1838 ignacio Coronel, assisted by his wife and daughter had accepted some fifteen dollars a month from the authorities to permit the exercise of official supervision and opened a school which as late as 1854 he conducted in his own home thereby doubtless inspiring his son antonio to take marked interest in the education of the indians from time to time, private schools, partly subsidized from public funds, were commenced. In May 1854, Mayor Foster pointed out that while there were fully 500 children of school age and the Pueblo had $3,000 surplus, there was still no school building which the city could call its own. New trustees Manuel Raquena, Francis Melos, and W.T.B. Sanford were elected, And then happened what perhaps has not occurred here since or ever in any other California town foster still mayor was also chosen school superintendent the new energy put into the movement now led the board to build late in 1854 or early in 1855 a two-story brick schoolhouse known as school number one on the northwest corner of spring and second streets on the lot later occupied first by the old City Hall and secondly by the Bryson block this structure cost six thousand dollars strange as it now seems the location was then rather out in the country and i dare say the selection was made in part to get the youngsters away from the residential district around the plaza there school was opened on march nineteenth eighteen fifty five william a wallace a botanist who had been sent here to study the flora having charge of the boys department and miss louisa hayes directing the division for girls among her pupils were sarah newmark and her sisters mary wheeler who married william pridham and lucinda macy afterwards mrs foy who recalls participating in the first public school examination in june 1856 dr john s griffin on june 7 1856 was elected superintendent having thus established a public school the city council voted to discontinue all subsidies to private schools one of the early school teachers was the pioneer james f burns coming with an emigrant train in 1853 Burns arrived in Los Angeles after some adventures with the Indians near what was later the scene of the Mountain Meadow Massacre in November of the same year having been trained in Kalamazoo Michigan as a teacher Burns settled in 1854 in San Gabriel and there with Caesar C. Twitchell he conducted a crossroads school in a tent later while still living at San Gabriel Burns was elected county school superintendent before reaching here that is, at Provo, Utah, on September 25th, the young schoolmaster had married Miss Lucretia Burdick, aunt of Fred Eaton's first wife. Burns, though small of stature, became one of the fighting sheriffs of the county. Among others who conducted schools in Los Angeles or vicinity in the early days were Mrs. Adam Bland, wife of the missionary, H. D. Barrows and the Hoyts mrs bland taught ten or twelve poor girls in eighteen fifty three for which the common council allowed her about thirty five dollars barrows was one of several teachers employed by william wolfskill at various times and at wolfskill's school not merely were his own children instructed but those of the neighboring families of carpenter roland and pleasance as well mrs gertrude lawrence hoyt was an episcopal clergyman's wife from new york who being made a widow followed her son albert h hoyt to los angeles in eighteen fifty three young hoyt a graduate of rutgers college and a teacher excited by the gold fever joined a hundred and twenty men who chartered the bark clarissa perkins to come around the horn in eighteen forty nine but failing as a miner he began farming near sacramento When Mrs. Hoyt came to Los Angeles, she conducted a private school in a rented building north of the plaza, beginning in 1854 and continuing until 1856, while her son moved south and took up 70 or 80 acres of land in the San Gabriel Valley, near El Monte. In 1855, young Hoyt came into town to assist his mother in the school, and the following year Mrs. Hoyt's daughter Mary journeyed west and also became a teacher here. Later, Miss Hoyt kept a school on Alameda Street, near the site of the Los Angeles and San Pedro Railroad Depot. Mrs. Hoyt died in Los Angeles in 1863. Other early teachers were William McKee, Mrs. Thomas Foster, and Miss Anna MacArthur. As undeveloped as the Pueblo was, Los Angeles boasted, in her very infancy, a number of physicians, although there were few, if any, Spanish or Mexican practitioners. In 1850, doctors William B. Osborne, W. W. Jones, A. W. Hope, A. P. Hodges, and a doctor Overstreet were here. While in 1851, doctors Thomas Foster, John Brinkerhoff, and James P. McFarland followed. To be reinforced in 1852 by Doctor James B. Winston, and soon after by doctors R. T. Hayes, T. J. White, and A. B. Hayward. Doctor John Struther Griffin general albert sidney johnston's brother-in-law and the accepted suitor of miss louisa hayes came to los angeles in 1848 or rather to san gabriel where according to hugo reed no physician had settled though the population took drugs by the barrel being the ranking surgeon under kearney and stockton when on january 8th they drove back the mexican forces he was also one of the hosts to young w t sherman not until 1854, however, after Griffin had returned to Washington and had resigned his commission, did he actually settle in Los Angeles. Thereafter, his participation in local affairs was such that, very properly, one of our avenues is named after him. Dr. Richard S. Den antedated all of these gentlemen, having resided and practiced medicine in Los Angeles in 1843-1844 and again in the early 50s though he did not dwell in the city permanently until january eighteen sixty six den i knew fairly well and griffin was my esteemed physician and friend foster and griffin were practitioners whom i best recall as being here during my first years one or two others as dr osborne and dr winston having already begun to devote their time to other enterprises dr richard s den an irishman of culture and refinement having been for a while with his brother nicholas den in santa barbara returned to los angeles in eighteen fifty one i say returned because den had looked in on the little pueblo before i had even heard its name while in the former place in the winter of eighteen forty three to forty four den received a call from los angeles to perform one or two surgical operations and here he practiced until drawn to the mines by the gold excitement he served in eighteen forty six to forty seven as chief physician and surgeon of the mexican forces during the mexican war and treated among others the famous american consul larkin whose surety he became when larkin was removed to better quarters in the home of luis den had only indifferent luck as a miner but was soon in such demand to relieve the sufferers from malaria that it is said he received as much as a thousand dollars in a day for his practice in eighteen fifty four he returned to santa barbara county remaining there for several years and suffering great loss on account of the drought and its effects on his cattle nicholas den who was also known in los angeles and was esteemed for both his integrity and his hospitality died at santa barbara in eighteen sixty two old dr den will be remembered not only with esteem but with affection he was seldom seen except on horseback in which fashion he visited his patients and was all in all somewhat a man of mystery he rode a magnificent coal-black charger and was himself always dressed in black he wore too a black felt hat and beneath the hat there clustered a mass of wavy hair as white as snow in addition to all this his standing collar was so high that he was compelled to hold his head erect and as if to offset the immaculate linen he tied around the collar a large black silk scarf thus attired and seated on his richly caparisoned horse dr den appeared always dignified and even imposing one may therefore easily picture him a friendly rival with don juan bandini at the early spanish balls as he was on intimate terms with the don and Doña abel stearns acknowledged social leaders dr den was fond of horse racing and had his own favorite racehorses sent here from santa barbara where they were bred Dr. Osborne, the postmaster of 1853, had two years before installed a small variety of drugs on a few shelves referred to by the complimentary term of drug store. Dr. Winston also kept a stock of drugs. About the same time, and before Dr. A. W. Hope opened the third drug store in September 1854, John Gately Downey, an Irishman by birth, who had been apprenticed to the drug trade in Maryland and Ohio, formed a partnership with James P. McFarland, a native of Tennessee, buying some of Winston's stock. Their store was a long, one-story adobe on the northwest corner of Los Angeles and commercial streets, and was known as McFarland and Downey's. The former had been a gold miner, and this experience intensified the impression of an already rugged physique as a frontier type. Entering politics, as Osborne and practically every other professional man then did, doubtless as much as anything else for the assurance of some definite income, McFarland secured a seat in the assembly in eighteen fifty two and in the senate in eighteen fifty three to fifty four about eighteen fifty eight he returned to tennessee and in december eighteen sixty revisited california after which he settled permanently in the east downey in eighteen fifty nine having been elected lieutenant governor was later made governor through the election of latham to the united states senate but his suddenly revealed sympathies with the secessionists together with his advocacy of a bill for the apprenticing of indians contributed toward killing him politically and he retired to private life dr h r miles destined to meet with a tragic death in a steamboat disaster which i shall narrate was another druggist with a partner dr j c welch a south carolinian dentist who came here in the early fifties and died in august 1869 their store on main street nearly opposite the bella union filled the prescriptions of the city's seven or eight doctors considerably later but still among the pioneer druggists was dr v gelchich who came here as surgeon to the fourth california infantry speaking of druggists it may be interesting to add that medicines were administered in earlier days to a much greater extent than now for every little ailment there was a pill a powder or some other nostrum the early botica or drug store kept only drugs and things incidental to the drug business. There was also more of home treatment than now. Every mother did more or less doctoring on her own account and had her well-stocked medicine chest castor oil ipecac black draught and calomel were generally among the domestic supply. The practice of surgery was also very primitive and he was unfortunate indeed who required such service. Operations had to be performed at home there were few or none of the modern scientific appliances or devices for either rendering the patient immune or contending with active disease preceded by a brother colonel james c foy who visited california in eighteen fifty and was killed in eighteen sixty four while in sherman's army by the bursting of a shell samuel c foy started for san francisco by way of new orleans and the isthmus when he was but twenty-two years old and allured by the gold fever wasted a year or two in the mines in january eighteen fifty four he made his way south to los angeles and seeing the prospect for trade in harness on february nineteenth of that year opened an american saddlery in which business he was joined by his brother john m Foy. their store was on main street between commercial and requina the location was one of the best and the foy brothers offering besides saddlery such necessities of the times as tents enjoyed one of the first chances to sell to passing immigrants and neighboring rancheros as they came into town some spurs exhibited in the county museum are a souvenir of foy's enterprise in those pioneer days in may 1856 sam foy began operating in cattle and continued in that business until 1865 periodically taking herds north and leaving his brother in charge of the store in the course of time the foys moved to los angeles street becoming my neighbors and while there in eighteen eighty two s c foy in a quaint advertisement embellished with a blanketed horse announced his establishment as the oldest business house in los angeles still at the old stand seventeen los angeles street next to h newmark and company's john foy who later removed to san bernardino died many years ago and sam foy also has long since joined the silent majority but one of the old signs of the saddlery is still to be seen on los angeles street where the son james calvert foy conducts the business the foys first lived on los angeles street and then on maine some years later they moved to the corner of seventh and pearl streets now called figueroa and came to control much valuable land there still in possession of the family a daughter of samuel c foy is miss mary foy formerly a teacher and later public librarian Another daughter married Thomas Lee Woolwine, the attorney. Wells Fargo and Company, formerly always styled Wells Fargo and Company, were early in the field here. On March twenty-eighth, 1854, they were advertising, through H.R. Miles, their agent, that they were a joint stock company with a capital of $500,000. End of chapter 8